Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Larry, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, June 22nd, 2016, and today we are reading from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We are currently uh, at page 73, the last paragraph. And let me give you the, uh, the readers for today. So today we have Rita P. on the 12 Steps. We have Ruth C. on the 12 Traditions. And the readers of the text are Linda R., Mary K. W., and Judy F. The reference number for yesterday, Tuesday, June 21st, is 8850. That's 8850. The OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. So let me now ask Rita P. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Rita. And Rita, you can, if you press uh, star one to unmute. Can you hear me? I can. Good morning. Okay, excellent. Good morning. (laughs) This is Rita P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Arkansas. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation, to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me do service, my pastor. Thank you, Rita. Okay, so now I'm going to ask uh, Ruth C. if she'd be kind enough to read the 12 tra- uh, traditions. Ruth? Yes, thank you, Larry. Good morning, all. My name is Ruth C., and I'm a compulsive, recovered compulsive overeater from Atlanta. The 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, 
Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every, group, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never to be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for allowing me to do service, and I pass. Thank you, Ruth. Okay, let me tell you how our meeting works. So our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, <clears throat> then we stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing. And then you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. <clears throat> Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute your phone. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. So today we're gonna to resume our study in the big book. And we're currently on page 73, the last paragraph. It starts with, we must be entirely honest. And uh, uh, we're gonna read uh, the first paragraph for context. And then the next paragraph, uh, we'll make we'll have the comments on the next paragraph. So Linda R, it's your turn. Good morning, Linda. <laughs> Hi, Larry. Good morning. Linda R. Recovered in North Carolina, and thank you so much for your service today. Okay. We must be entirely honest with somebody if we expect to live long or happily in this world. Rightly and naturally, we think well before we choose the person or persons with whom to take this intimate and confidential step. Those of us belonging to a religious denomination, which requires confession, must and, of course, 
will want to go to the properly appointed authority whose duty is to receive it. Though we have no religious connection, we may still do well to talk with someone ordained by an established religion. We often find such a person quick to see and understand our problem. Of course, we sometimes encounter people who do not understand alcoholics. If we cannot or would rather not do this, we search our acquaintance for a closed-mouthed, understanding friend. Perhaps our doctor or psychologist will be the person. It may be one of your own family, but we cannot disclose anything to our wives or our parents, which will hurt them and make them unhappy. We have no right to save our own skin at another person's expense. Such parts of our story we tell to someone who will understand, yet be unaffected. The rule is we must be hard on ourselves, but always considerate of others. Well, these paragraphs speak of, you know, very, very spiritual readiness. When I first started doing, you know, I've done many, uh, I've done a lot of step work in the program because I've been in the program many decades. And I've done a few fourth steps where I've given them away, but it really wasn't when I was spiritually connected to the high power that I have enlarged in my life today, personal to Linda. When I've done the fourth step, however, as a result at the end of, my, of this process, and when I want to give it away to someone, the person that I've had this intimacy with in, in the fourth step process is someone that I've already acquired a relationship with of intimacy and really like having faith in the person. So at the end of the process, when I'm ready to fifth step it, I have this relationship already formed. And the relationship is only where I am in my recovery, in my recovered state. So I only have that awareness of the knowledge that I can give that person at the time. When I give it away, it's, it's a, a catharsis, it's a freedom. I just remember a few of these four steps that I've given away. And um, the, one of them was a very spiritual experience. I was in a park and a bird landed on my head. And this bird had one leg. And the person I was giving this, this um, it, my fifth step to said to me, oh, my goodness, this is really a spiritual experience that this bird landed on my head. It was just an amazing thing. And then the, the last one that I did was really like the catharsis because I was able to um, really have some insight with my higher power about some things that were really blocking me. And the statement here that it says, you know, to be hard on ourselves but considerate of others. There were many times when I did, you know, do a fifth step and I was not thinking of the other person because I was still ego-driven. But again, I wasn't aware of it at the time. So each time there were different layers that were, un, you know, uncovered in my recovery, my recovery. And I looked up the word hard and it's solid, firm, not easily broken, endurance, effort. And to me, that's all the experience that I've had in the program with different people that I have fifth step with and that I've created that solid foundation they talk about in the, in the program where, you know, we need that or else, you know, it will falter and we will slip again. So, you know, the last uh, sentence, you know, to be hard on myself, to consider it of others also. The hardness really is, it's not like, you know, it's the work that I need to do. You know, this program isn't an easy road. I need to take an action. I need to be hard on myself and I need to be considerate of other people. And to really, you know, realize that, you know, I am recovering, recovered, and that it is a process that takes a lifetime. So I think that, um, 
I think that that's all I really have to say. And uh, the other thing is, one more thing is that when I do that fourth step, and at the end, when I fifth step it, I am turning my life over to infinite God rather than finite Linda. And that's only after I've uncovered the different layers in my life of, you know, so that I can do that. So I'm clear. And I just want to say that I still continue to do fifth steps. I may not do it with a fourth step inventory. However, when I'm having a problem, I do my 11th, my 10th, 11th. And when I'm having a problem, I must have someone that I can share it with. And I shared this on the program yesterday or the day before that I do a lot of writing first before I really fifth step things so that I can have a clarification before I turn something over to another person. Thank you very much for allowing me to share today. Thank you, Linda. Okay, so we're going to have the comments on the uh, the second paragraph that, that Linda read. Who would like to share on what was read? This Sarah, Tina Tina S. S. Michelle. Tina S. Sarah. <clears throat> Sally. Sarah W. Got you, Sarah. This is what I got so far. I got Bella, I got Tina, Sarah, Sally. Who else? Okay. Let's uh let's start with that. Hello, uh, this is Raquel. Raquel. Hi. Okay. Yes. Hi Larry. Hi everybody. Hello, Raquel. <clears throat> Good morning. Um anybody else? Which paragraph are we sharing on? Sure, we're uh we're on uh she read the, the last paragraph on seventy three and then she read uh two paragraphs. So we're we're making our comments on that second paragraph. All right, here's who I have. I have Bella, Tina, Sarah, Sally, and Raquel. So if you're not Bella, if you would be kind enough to mute your, mute your phone. And Bella, you're up, followed by Tina. Good morning, Bella. Good morning, Larry. Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. My name is Bella G, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Larry, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. The rule is we must be hard on ourselves. Wow, hard on ourselves. Yes, before program, for me, hard on, I was always hard on myself. But for me, hard meant to punish myself, to to live according to other people's feelings, not mine. Mine, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the way I feel. You know, I was a people pleaser. And I believe that, you know, today I am not perfect. I am, this is my goal, but you for sure, you are perfect. So, you know, I have to tell you exactly what wrong I did, because really I wanted to be so perfect. And I didn't believe that I have even good parts in myself, because if I would have, I would be perfect. So for me, hard, I was in a punishing myself, and then I lived in a blaming, judging, jealous, and in a war. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Today that I live according to the 12 steps, yes, I believe that, yes, I have to be hard on myself. It's, I, I am responsible of my own house, of my own self to clean it up. And yes, to clean up, you know, I have to go to all the all those corners that it's hard to reach them. I have to go to all those parts in myself 
that I want to clean them up. And not because I am bad and not because I am not smart, because I want to be today better than I was yesterday. And yes, today I accept myself the way I am. And yes, I have my character defects that I have to work on them one day at a time. And for me today, hard on myself, it doesn't mean to punish myself. It means to accept myself and to trust myself that, Yes, I have those character defects because I am human, and I have today the tools, the 12 steps, how to clean them up, how to reach them, and not to live in a war, to live in freedom. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Okay, so we have Tina next, followed by Sarah. Good morning, Tina. Good morning, Larry. Thanks for your service. Tina S., compulsive eater in Florida. Yeah. Love this paragraph, and I like what was shared yesterday. That you know, today this is uh, 80, 81, almost eight, well, 81 years later. So, um, you know, that some things have changed, and so I'm able to to do this with someone who who has already done it with someone else, and and so on and so forth. Forth, and and you know, that's the good news for me because I don't know that you know I would have gone to a priest or uh, to a doctor or a psychologist. I think you know I'm right on time. I'm right exactly where I'm supposed to be doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing, and so I was able to several times do this with some sponsors and you know they were able to share their experience with me and and so I felt like I could disclose myself to them and and I love what it says and it was already shared the rule is we must be hard on ourselves but always consider of others and you know and I don't know that I I did that the first time I I did this step but I know today I try to to follow this this principle here and um and I get great results when I do that because when I'm looking at you I'm screwed and um you know, it's just a powerful part of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I and I love that we're reading it, and I and I'm loved, and I love that one day at a time I can be somebody different, and I can do things differently today, and only through this can I. So with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Tina. Okay, we have Sarah next, followed by Sally. Hi, Sarah. Good morning, Larry. Thank you for your service today. Good morning, my friends and family. Um, my name is Sarah, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Um, it has a lot in the paragraph. Um, the part I had highlighted was the last sentence, but in looking at it and listening to it this morning, um, the thing I realize is it's so important to know that it doesn't necessarily have to be a sponsor, um, that this, the thought has to be, uh, and it always has really been, excuse me, been a sponsor for me, although I did have uh, therapy years ago and also um, spoke of my um, history with that person, but, um, you know, the idea is that it it needs to be somebody that I can trust, Um, and that I can't hurt other people in the process of who I give it to. That's an important piece of it, that we have no right to save our own skin at another person's expense. Um, And then the thought I have about the, the rule is we must be hard on ourselves uh, but always con- uh, considerate of others. You know, a huge part of my recovery has been having, you know, to be truly honest and yet have self-compassion uh, because I, I've been my own worst enemy. You know, self-loathing was where I where I was living so much of my life. Um, in the fifth step, in the 12 and 12, the very first sentence says, all of AA's 12 steps 
ask us to go contrary to our natural desires. They all deflate our egos. And the ego doesn't mean that I'm taking away my sense of, like I have value in life. It's saying that the idea that I am the only thing that's important and the rest of the world around me is not, um, and that I am higher or lower than other people is, is where I stand in ego. And when I'm, when I'm a spiritual being in my spiritual self, I'm eye to eye. And that's what this beautiful step allows me to become. Because what I see is, you know, the people that I've hurt and, and that I always had some sense of a part. But I'm not a bad person trying to get good. I'm, a, I'm an ill person. You know, I have a disease trying to get better. And the last thing I'll say is this is really about maturity and starting to look at my part in things. And I'm very grateful for that because probably I was between 7 and 13 when I walked in uh, 21 years ago, and I'm not that person anymore. Uh, I'm not perfect, though. You know, I continue to aspire to do better. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. So we have Sally next, followed by Raquel. Sally, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, a vision for you. It's Sally A. in South Jersey, a recovered compulsive overeater. I want to speak on just this one sentence. The rule is, it's the last sentence that we read today. The rule is we must, there's a must. We talked about that must. Larry talked about it yesterday. There's 72 musts. We must be hard on ourselves but always considerate of others. And I have a few thoughts about that sentence, that very, very important sentence. And I really believe that sentence is there to sum up what we have to do in giving away our fifth step and in choosing who it is we're going to give it to. This is not an opportunity to um, beat up emotionally our mother or father or Somebody in our life that who would hear our story would be devastated to hear and would be in pain. They're, they're summing up the, the process of giving away our fifth step. The rule is we must be hard on ourselves, but always considerate of others. So, so come with me for a moment now. First of all, I want you to take a look at page 12 at the top of the page, the very first word at the top of that page. You're talking about Ebby, Bill. He said on the bottom of 11, I saw that my friend was much more than inwardly reorganized. The rule is we must be hard on ourselves. This is, this is me being reorganized. This is me hard on myself. That's not my personality to be hard on me. My, my personality is actually more of um, page, uh, the top of page 48 where it says we often found ourselves handicapped by obstinacy, sensitiveness, and unreasoning prejudice. Now, let me tell you that that word sensitive, I mean, sure, I'm handicapped by being, you know, obstinate and being unreasonable in my prejudice at times, but sensitive, that's one that God will work on for a long time still. And when it says the rule is we must be hard on ourselves, understand that this takes reorganization. This, this really requires a significant change in who we are. Take a look at page 27 in the middle of the page where it says, they appear to be in the nature of human emotional displacements and rearrangements. 
Ideas, emotions, and attitudes which were once the guiding force of the lives of these men are suddenly cast to one side. Me being sensitive is going to be cast to one side. I'm going to be reorganized. And completely new set of conceptions and motives, keyword, begin to dominate them. In fact, I have been trying to produce some such emotional rearrangement with you. What are they talking about? In a nutshell, this to me is really the essence of the disease. My, I'm selfish. That is the whole crux of the matter with my disease, that I am a selfish person. So when it tells us the rule is we must be hard on ourselves, I must wear on the fore, at the frontal lobe of my mind, on my forehead, the word selfish. Yes, I love me. There's a lot of other things nice about me, but I can afford to be honest enough to say I am so selfish. And so the rule is I'm going to be hard on me. Instead of coddling me, instead of being sensitive all the time, I'm going to be hard on me, but always considerate of others. And that will take reorganization. That will take a change that only my higher power can make in me. Thank you. Thanks, Sally. Uh, so we have Raquel. Good morning, Raquel. Morning. Oh, Good morning, Lily. Good morning. Thank you for your service. I hope you can hear me. I can. Hello? Oh, yeah, great. And hi to all my sweet family there and all the wonderful things that are being said. You know, um, I I uh, always so, so um, deeply awed by how complex, you know, and how every one of us veers to one extreme to another or have it in inside me or, or us to, to be this way or that way, as it says, I think, in the how it works, that we became, when we want to run the show, we either become more gracious or more demanding, you know, as, as the situation will, will maybe um, yield us more to rest out of life or what we want to. So here in this sentence, the rule is we must be hard on ourselves but always considerate of others. I um, I think hard on myself does not, I have like a warning sign here. Hard on myself doesn't mean wallowing in self-deprecation and being considerate doesn't mean to be people-pleasing because as far as my experience goes, um, the hard on myself I knew how to do very well and um, and and that was an, a, a, a perverted kind of pride to it's the two sides of the coin. You know, I'm either worse than anybody and better than anybody. You know, when it says in the Bible that Moses was the most humble man that ever lived on the face of the earth, doesn't mean that he thought he was a nothing. He knew exactly who he was, but his point of reference was to God, who God is and who he is on this earth. So for me, it's, I, I kind of put for myself a little disclaimer in here because I just recently got into trouble by being a uh, people pleaser and after coming home from an operation, allowed someone to come and visit me with her kids. The next Saturday, I came home on Thursday and on Saturday she asked to come because her kids are interested in my cat. And I was in no shape to, uh, to entertain. And some little thing happened that sent me off and I did not know how to protect myself because I'm a people pleaser. All that happened shouldn't have happened. 
if I really knew my place and said, you know, right now I'm very vulnerable and let's wait until I feel a little better. You can come, but not with three grandchildren and a son. So things didn't, things went haywire. And I know God will help me and help us straighten it out. But again, consider it doesn't mean people pleasing and harden myself that I ought to be able now, no matter what, to entertain when I'm in such a shape is not, uh, is, is, is being hard on myself unreasonably. So I think, and especially for us women, compulsive overeaters, uh, um, to be very, I have to be very sensitive for myself and for the people I'm trying to help somewhat with um, not confusing these things, uh, um, the, the considerate and the hard on myself, but finding the right mix of what is necessary when, and that has to do with emotional maturity. And I'm in good company because Bill W. spoke so many years after his white light, what he calls uh, uh, experience, that the next frontier for the old timers is to, um, to come to this kind of balance, to emotional maturity. There's a beautiful thing about it in the language of the heart. But I love you all, and thank you for all the wonderful, wonderful sharing. And everybody have a wonderful recovering day, and I pass. Thank you. <clears throat> thank you, Raquel. Okay, so we're at the first full paragraph on page 74 is where our comments are. We could take a few more. Does anybody anyone like to jump in? Nessa R. Gotcha, Nessa. Maybe one more. W. Was that okay? Yeah. I got uh, yeah. Well, I got you, Deb. So here's what we'll do. We'll go with those three. We got Nessa, we got Deb, and we got Kim. So Nessa, good morning to you. Hi. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, a vision for you. Uh, this is Nessa R. Recovered in Toronto, Canada. This is a very popular sentence to um, to focus on. I want to talk about being hard on myself and what it means to me. Um, to be hard on myself used to mean to me that I would beat myself up. I would tell myself, I'm a loser, I'll never learn, I'll never get better, I'm always going to do same things the same way, you know, I'm just, I'm just the, the, the bottom of the heap. And that's not at all what it means, because that only fuels my self-pity and my victimhood, which is selfishness at the core. Um, what it means to me now is I need to face the truth about myself squarely in the eye with rigorous honesty. I have to let go of the fact that in a given situation I may be right, that my values might be superior to the other guys, more loftier, more honest. Um, I have to let go of all that stuff because it's very easy for me to see where other people have gone wrong. It's very easy for me to see the defects of the other guy. But to be hard on myself means I have to um, look away from that and put the focus on myself. How am I being selfish? How am I being dishonest, self-seeking, and fearful? Not only when I look at my resentments, and my fears and my, the harms that I've done others, but even in whom I choose 
um, to give my step five to. So I don't, um, I don't hurt anybody in the process. And I'm going to do that yet again in steps eight and nine when I make a list of people that, have, that, that I have harmed and I proceed to make amends. Because here, um, the idea of this process is to clean up the debris of the past, not to add to it. And if I harm other people in the process, then I'm really going to be defeating the purpose. So hard on myself means what is the truth about myself, my defects, my motives, um, not, not the other person. Let go of what's right and what's wrong. You know, if I'm more right or I'm less wrong, then the other person is completely, completely irrelevant. It's how I have been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and fearful. And, you know, my sponsor taught me to talk to myself. You know, when my nose is out of joint, I talk to myself and I say, you know, Nessa, you're being selfish because, or, you know, this is a lie that you're thinking because, and it's so, it's so helpful. I'm so grateful for that, for that skill that, that she taught me. Um, and this is uh, being hard on myself, and I pass. Thank you, Nessa. So we have Deb followed by Kim. Good morning, Deb. Okay, Deb Deb, you recovered from Oklahoma. And uh, being hard on myself also uh, kind of, you know, spoke to me when I was listening this year. Um, and I think it's so tricky in doing this uh, inventory that we start out looking at other people. And it, it's so brilliant that whoever put this together, well, I know who put this together, would take the stand-up. We start out emptying ourselves as to who did what to me, who did what to me, who did, did what to me. I have permission to say who did what to me. And then I have permission to say why, why. You know, I can empty myself of all the whites. Nobody's getting in the way of me emptying myself. This is it. Then I get to tell you how it affected me. You know, not just that uh, I'm angry, but I actually can say specifically how. I can come up with a, a real answer rather than just a blank grudge or blank anger. But what's really exciting is that I can actually take myself and walk away from the work that I just did and turn around and look at it in a from a different perspective. And I've had people, including myself, that say, well, I don't see how I could have been selfish or dishonest until this power that helps us with this walk brings to thought well, maybe I was. Maybe maybe I did have some part in that. And that's what the steps in this recovery process is so great about. I actually can step over to the other side of the room, turn around, and look back at what I just wrote and really see a different perspective. Thank you. Thanks, Deb. So we have uh, Kim G. followed by um, Mary K.W. is going to going to continue reading after Kim. Good morning, Kim. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, all. My name is Kim Jean. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. You know, we don't have many rules. You know, we always talk about everything being suggested, but here we have a rule. And the rule is we must be hard on ourselves, but always considerate of others. 
And when we're looking at this person with the fist up, I'm going to jump ahead, actually, I'm sorry, to the next paragraph, which is someone who fully understands and improves of what we're driving at. Because there is a specific um, outcome we're trying to get with this fist step. So I always used, like to use the example, I have two girlfriends that I'm really close with. And I, my one girlfriend, I've known her since I was nine years old, and I will talk to her, and she will call me on my stuff. She'll say, Kim, you've been pulling that crap since fourth grade. Knock it off. And I have another girlfriend that if I came to her and said, you know what, I killed somebody last night, she probably would say, you know what, Kim, they probably deserved it. So I need to know who I'm going to. I need that person who's going to show me my truth. I need that person who's going to call me on my bullshit. You know, I think that's even important in step 10 because step 10 is four through nine. And this is my opinion, but I tell my sponsees, you've got to find people in your life who are going to bring you to the book and they're going to tell you the truth. Because if you call someone with a 10th step or call someone doing your fifth step and they tell you, oh, honey, don't worry about it. I understand. Those people are jerks. And I just, you should just go home and have a bubble bath. Everything will be okay. That's a great person to talk to. But that's not someone you want to do a fifth step with or a tenth step with. Or if you go to someone and they start yelling at you and telling you what to do, that's not a good person either because the point of going through four, a tenth step and four through nine is to get you connected with a power that will tell you what to do, not a person. So it's very important for me. And I just want to talk about some language because this really helped me. You know, I, I, I often thought, well, I need, some, I need someone who's gentle with me for my fifth step. So what I see in the book, it says this is a drastic, drastic stuff we're doing. And on page 14, specifically, it's saying, simple but not easy, a price had to be paid. It meant the destruction of self-centeredness. I have to tell you, my disease isn't gentle, and my recovery cannot be gentle. You know, another thing for me is I felt like I had to trust the person. My experience is I don't need to trust the person. I will learn to trust by doing the steps. I also saw that my people-pleasing was really just manipulation. So I started to see who I really was. You know, I thought, once again, the intention is, and I just want to end with this, is that in psychology, often the intention is to understand. You know, when we go to confession in our, in our, in our church or our faith, often the uh, objective is just to get stuff off our chest and be forgiven. But what is the, what is the intention with these steps, with this fifth step? is that we can take responsibility for our behavior, identify those character defects, and get unblocked from a power. That was very important for me to understand what was my intention with this work. And with that, I pass. Thanks so much, Kim. So let me tell you where Mary Kay is going to be reading. Um, so she's going to be reading page 74, the last paragraph, and she's going to read two paragraphs. Mary Kay, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, everyone online. I'm Mary Kay W., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater, but not cured just for today. Notwithstanding the great necessity for discussing ourselves with someone, it may be one is so situated that there is no suitable person available. If that is so, this step may be postponed, but only, however, if we hold ourselves in complete readiness to go through with it at the first opportunity. We say this because we are very anxious that we talk to the right person. This is it is important that he be able to keep a confidence, that he, be, he fully understand and approve what we are driving at, that he will not try to change our plans, but we must not use this as a mere excuse. When we decide who is to hear our story, we waste no time. 
we have a written inventory and we are prepared for a long talk. We explain to our partner what we are about to do and why we have to do it. He should realize that we are engaged uh, upon a life and death errand. Most people approach this in this way will be glad to help. They will be honored by our confidence. Okay, just a couple of comments. First, on the first paragraph, uh, again, emphasizing that we talk to the right person that will keep a confidence and, and, um, and that it, you might be able to delay it, but don't delay long. Don't use excuses. I know my life was full of excuses. And when I first came into the OA rooms, uh, some people know my story that I didn't come into a 12-step program through OA. I came in... Um, through a um, another 12-step program, and but I knew right away I was going to need someone to hear my fourth-step work and do the work through the big book with me that had the same experience I did with with compulsive overeating and compulsive food behaviors. And the although I really trusted those persons that that there were things that they were not going to be able to understand and. And then, but I live in a rural area that doesn't have a lot of um, um, face-to-face. There's no face-to-face meetings. I would have to drive more than an hour to get to a face-to-face meeting. So I found the phone lines. Thank God he led me to these phone lines. But I was still uncertain. And then I realized, and I'm taking it into the second paragraph now, we had to decide who was to hear our story. And and in the third sentence of that second uh, paragraph that I read, he says, we explained to our partner, that's the person that we decided to hear a story. So sometimes it is a sponsor um, or someone else we we have met on the lines that we may not have ever seen face to face. But 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 I chose to to trust trust God uh, that that I choose to choose uh, call my higher power that that he was leading me to the right people that that I, I could trust them and get guidance from them and and they were indeed honored by my confidence um, I'm now sponsoring for the first time um, and uh, you know for the last just the last six months I've started sponsoring and haven't um, had anybody give me uh, a fourth step yet but I'll be honored I know I will be when when that that time comes, and I'll leave that up to God. I'm not going to worry about that. Um, but this is good stuff, and I thank you, and I pass. Thanks, Mary Kay. Okay, Charles who would H. like to share? Charles. What up, bro? <laughs> who else? Reva P. Mary Reva. B. Leah M. Okay, let's go with those those five, and let's see where we're at. So we got we got Chuck, we got Reva, we got Mary, Leah, and Amy. Charles, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Charles H., a recovered compulsive reader just for today. And I wanted to hit that, 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 that first paragraph that we read, we must be hard on ourselves. Um, you know, that, that's a very important must for me. You know, I, I, none of y'all ain't really watch uh, Animal Kingdom. I know I'm probably the only one on the line, but the Eagles, right? We see... You know, you see an eagle in, 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 in a wild soaring so high up. You know, some a spiritual advisor once told me that eagles when they when they you know, in their first year, they are smashing their beak on the rocks. Now to me, that analogy is really being hard on myself. Um, or they're being hard on themselves. I could identify with smashing my beak on the rocks. 
Um, you ever see that? You ever see that? Uh, there's a picture going around on social network where you see the iceberg, but you only see the tip of the iceberg on the outside. But like 90% of that thing is submerged underwater. That that you know, people see. Oh man, you look good. Oh, you looking? They don't see the work that you do. They don't see. I'll give you an example. Two Wednesdays in a row, um, I didn't. I was supposed to share at this men's meeting. The first Wednesday, my wife was supposed to do uh, um, a funeral, and she, you know, she couldn't make it, so I had to do it. The second Wednesday, which was last Wednesday, I, um, I decided not to go because they don't come to my meeting and all that nonsense. The, the city committee in the city in my head, and and plus, not really that. I just didn't want to go because I wanted to go do something else. So now. This week, I'm, you know, I'm going to, to go to that meeting, and I'm going to make that amends because I harmed that guy. I really did. I harmed the, the moderator of that meeting, the secretary. And that's putting, pushing him up because a guy like me, man, I still got ego in me, right? A guy like me, I got to continue to crash my feet up against the rocks so I can soar higher than, you know, I, I want to soar higher than I ever saw before, not from a self-righteous standpoint, but that, that's part of the process, eat and grow, man. You know, when I do harm, I have to make amends. And I didn't make it quickly. I waited a whole week. But guess what? I got, I got a chance today at life. And, and I'm going to close with this. In the big book, there's a story I was reading on my way to work where it says the two most important things in program is willingness and action. And I'm willing to act just for today. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Les. Thanks, Charles. Okay, Reva, followed by Mary. Reva, good morning. Good morning. This is Reva P., Grateful, Recovered, Compulsive Overeater in Toronto. I wanted to share on some of the words in the second paragraph that we waste no time because we're engaged on a life and death errand. Um, and that reminds me, you know, now when I uh, work with people and they're starting to write the fourth step, we make an appointment to do the fifth step within a week or two, because once I start uncovering um, all the resentments and fears, it's really uncomfortable if I'm abstinent. These are the things that drove me to pick up my um, drug of choice. So if I'm in this process of um, discovering the nature of my wrongs, removing the blocks between myself and a higher power so I can access that power, once I start seeing very clearly in my writing um, all the, um, I call it my gook, all the, all the garbage, um, I need to share it and move quickly. Sense of urgency. This will kill me because when the food is down, it's my thinking that drives me back to the food. That's what we learn in more about um, alcoholism, people who put it down and are just dry drunks. This is life and death. And sometimes I feel we don't take this particular disease as seriously as drugs and alcohol. So maybe it's a slower death, but it's still death. So once we start for the big book picks up the pace, we're encouraged to pick up the pace. Don't waste time. Just give it away. Um, and I'm grateful for these warnings. So I wrote a couple of step 10s last night, and I am sharing them at, um, later this morning because I cannot sit too long in this stuff, and I can't see what I can't see when I share it 
those truths are revealed to me and I can move on with the rest of the steps. With that, I pass. Thank you, Reva. So we have uh, Mary followed by Leah. Mary, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Can you hear me? I can. Thank you. Thank you so much for your service and thanks to everyone who shared this morning. This is Mary B. Gratefully Recovered in Central California. And, oh my gosh, there's been so many wonderful shares on this this morning. I don't want to repeat any of it. I just want to share something that came up from my memory from oh so many years ago. When I came into OA, it was pretty new. And we didn't have a lot of experience, strength, and hope to uh, share with one another. So we turned to AA, and we would go to AA meetings together. We picked up a lot from AA, easy does it, a day at a time, and the acronym KISS, K-I-S-S. In AA, it was keep it simple, stupid. In OA, we changed it to keep it simple, sweetheart. Why? Because we thought that in OA, we were so hard on ourselves. Poor babies. We needed the the gentleness of the word sweetheart instead of stupid. And meetings that I went to, um, there was a reading every day, and it ended with the love that is manifest in this room. And many times I looked around the room as I listened to those words and asked myself if we could love one another to death. And for me, when I'm working with somebody, and thank God somebody did this for me, you put down the food and it's hard. Oh, it's hard. Of course it's hard. Someone said to me, Mary, if you want to know why you eat, stop and you'll know. That's because all those feelings come bubbling up. Facing myself was hard. Yeah, it was hard. It was hard to look at those defects and know that I had a part in it. But by keeping the food down, it gets easier. By continuing to face those defects, my higher power will remove them. And that is what I have to share with a newcomer, not to make it easier for them but to know that if they continue on this path, it will get better. It will get easier. But if they go back, it will not. You only have to go through it again, and it gets harder. That was my experience. Thank you all. Thanks for the opportunity to share this morning. Thank you, Mary. Okay, we have Leah followed by Amy. Good morning, Leah. Good morning. Thanks so much, Larry, for your service. We waste no time. We are engaged upon a life and death errand. You know, step four does a great job of stirring up the pot, (laughs) the contents of my life, um, you know, in black and white. So, uh, you know, the the clock is ticking. Tick-tock, 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 because, you know, after that step four is done and we do it quickly, We can be (laughs) tormented uh, by the memories, the unresolved conflicts, the fears, the guilt, the remorse. You know, it can continue to haunt us. And, of course, that brings on further restlessness, irritability, and discontentment and tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. No wonder when I would get to that step 
occasionally uh, in my first five years of OA and not do anything with it, I couldn't stand the tension and would, uh, you know, of course, it's like holding your breath underwater. I'd eventually dig my face into a cellophane bag and a bakery box. Um, You know, freedom isn't free, and freedom takes responsibility. And, uh, you know, this this is the work that has to get done because without a fearless admission of my defects to another human being, I was not going to stay abstinent. The grace of God was not going to enter and expel that destructive obsession of my mind. So this had to get done. And you know what? Pain is the greatest motivator to effectuate change. I mean, after years of not following this process and years of getting the same results, further uh, destruction and madness and mayhem in the disease of compulsive overeating, it was time to follow through. And, you know, sitting across from someone, uh, you know, those the damned up emotions of years finally was able to break out of confinement and you know what happens through the process of four through nine this healing tranquility begins to uh come upon me and and take the place of all that turmoil and torture that i lived with the greatest loss in life is to feel like you're dying inside while you're still alive and that's exactly where i was at you know in 1987 i was ready I was ready to be freed from the bondage of self. (laughs) And step five was that opportunity to begin the harmony with another person and to allow the alignment that was going to take place with a power greater than myself. And all that began with step five. And I pass. Thanks so much. Thank you, Leah. Hey, Amy, we say save the best for last. You're up. (laughs) <laughs> Thanks, Larry. Oh, no pressure there. Yeah. Right? Uh, Amy E., uh, recovered compulsive eater in Ohio. Really been enjoying this meeting and all of the really thoughtful comments. Um, uh, in and and I'm I'm struck by so here here they're writing this book and in the 30s just just really uh, what four years after beginning um, uh, Bill and uh, Dr. Bob got sober, so um, there there isn't a whole network of people to give this step to, um, and to give our inventories to. And it's and I, I love what what Kim was saying too that the it's the appropriate person both in and out of the rooms because I I find that um, few people understand the depth of humility that this process requires um, when I talk to people about the spiritual disciplines of this program. I was at an AA meeting yesterday and, and sharing some of the things that I do. And five or six subsequent shares were, I'm not hard on myself or I don't really, you know, I'm not a, you know, I don't follow it to the every uh, jot and tittle of what the big book is telling me to do. You know, people wanted to really back away from some of the instructions here in the book or certainly as I was explaining it. So, uh, I get this. Perce- people are always like, oh, oh, no, 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 don't be so hard on yourself. Don't be so hard on yourself. Oh, there, there, dear, you're okay. Um, oh, it wasn't that bad. People have a tendency to want to rush in. I think that's natural human compassion. Um, I think it also can make people uncomfortable when you're shining a big spotlight on yourself and pulling up things that perhaps resonate with them 
and then they wonder, gee, well, I'm not doing this. What's wrong with me kind of thing? So it's really important that we have somebody who, as has been um, said previous, understands why we're doing this, understands that it's a life and death process. And I think that's why at the beginning, Bill W. was suggesting that um, we, we must and should, if possible, go to a priest or a minister or a rabbi because here are people who are trained in this who, who understand their relationship to God and the uh, uh, human tendency towards sin and um, um, will certainly help you uh, uh, admit your defects of character and rise above. So, uh, yeah, I, I really appreciate the thoughts and comments in this part in the big book. Grateful to be asked in it today. Thank you. I pass. Thank you so much. Okay, so thank you to everyone who has shared, and please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. So we're now going to close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Judy, 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 are you there? <laughs> I am. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Larry. This is Judy F., Recover Compulsive Overeater from Massachusetts. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for this man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.